It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. For the love of Pete, it's something you might say when your car gets damaged, but that won't get you the help you need for your vehicle. As someone named Jake, what you should be saying is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For help filing your claim 24-7, whether it's on the phone, online, or on the award-winning State Farm mobile app, however you choose. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Well, I love 40s. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 613 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, November 28th. Happy Thanksgiving to our U.S. listeners. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got the Locked On NHL channel covering all of the stuff going on in the NHL this week across the board. Uh, very contentious and ultimately kind of depressing week in terms of uh, the dark underbelly of hockey culture being revealed with the Bill Peters accusations and everything that's come out over the last few days. And the folks on the Lockdown NHL Network are doing an awesome job covering it. So please subscribe, rate, and review to any show on the network that you'd like to support. It's very much appreciated. And uh, thanks in advance for taking the time. All right, on today's show, the Toronto Raptors just beat the piss out of the New York Knicks last night, 126-98. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on that. And instead, most of today's show is going to be dedicated to Raptors 905, who we have not really checked in with. And joining me now on the show is uh, someone who's going to be talking a lot about Raptors 905 with his brand new show on Saga 960, I believe, in Mississauga, uh, hosting a weekly Raptors 905 show at noon on Fridays. It is Andrew Damlin. Andrew, what's going on, buddy? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to finally have you make your debut on the podcast. I, I apologize it's been this long without having you on. Uh, we go all, way back, dude, to, back to uh, our TSN 1050 days. And uh, so it was nice, it's nice to catch up. Uh, and very glad to hear that you're going to be hosting a, a show about the 905, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Uh, but first, let's talk about the Raptors game from last night. Again, a blowout victory over the Knicks. Pretty easy stuff. Uh, Pascal Siakam with a really nice performance, an efficient 31 on 12 of 22, hit a career high five threes. Uh, the bench did its thing and had the energy and all that stuff. Malcolm Miller came in and scored a point a minute. That was all very fun. Uh, but for you, Damlin, what was your sort of 
biggest takeaway from this not exactly exciting or exhilarating Raptors win? I think the biggest takeaway I have from this game and looking back on the last few is that you know the Raptors are an NBA champion because they have an on switch and an off switch. Mm-hmm. And when they were down by eight, I think 29-21 in the first quarter, in years past, you'd be a little bit concerned. Do they have it tonight? Is it a random Friday against the Knicks or Wednesday against the Knicks? But in the last few games, they've fallen down, but they're, they've been able to just make up the deficit so easily by flipping on the switch. And, I mean, otherwise, they're facing an mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, inferior opponent. So it was a rather easy victory. But for me, as the, you know, the 905 niche guy, I was just blushing with pride when I saw all my – you know, all my guys, Chris Boucher, Malcolm Miller, O'Shea Brissett, even a Shamari Pond sighting, getting in on the scoring. So it was fun to see them contribute from my perspective. Yeah, that was uh, really cool to get like an entire fourth quarter of like Canadian ceremonial garbage time with like Iggy Brzdikas <laughs> getting in there for the mix with RJ Barrett and you had Brissett and Boucher and all the guys from the 905. Uh, you know, as far as fourth quarters go, the Raptors do a pretty good job of keeping it compelling at least because you have all these dudes who um, I think with a lot of teams, their garbage time guys are maybe not necessarily destined to be rotation players one day, but the Raptors track record has proven that uh, these guys who are playing in the fourth quarter might just step in when the team is short the next season and uh, become rotation guys, which is super fun. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a blast. No, Sorry, absolutely. did you have something to add there? Yeah, absolutely. With, with Malcolm Miller, I thought those minutes were especially important because mm-hmm. even with Serge and Kyle going out, he was still out of the rotation. And with um, you know Matt Thomas and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson really – taking any possible minutes that he could get. So he, he wasn't providing that punch that, uh, because we, I was asked, um, I asked John Malala, the 905 head coach about uh, the one game that Miller was sent down as to why, you know, he was sent down. What did, what do you need to see from him? And he said, above all, he needed some, he needed to obviously to get a sweat going, but he needed mm-hmm. just some punch, some aggression, just together, just to get that confidence going. Cause you can see he is a dead eye shooter and it's just, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't impressing Nick Nurse apparently enough to get minutes, even with an injury-plagued team. So I was really encouraged by what I saw from him in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think punch is not exactly the word I would to use to describe what Malcolm Miller brings typically. He is sort of mostly a very passive player. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but on this Raptors team where it's so much read and react and everyone kind of gets a chance to make decisions and do stuff with the ball – it does feel like kind of a prerequisite to getting minutes. Even like Matt Thomas was okay, you know, putting the ball in the deck a little bit and, you know, taking a step in and, you know, trying to throw a little pocket pass once in a while. And I think that's something that Miller has been missing uh, pretty much his entire career, both in the 905 and at the NBA level. And that's not to say he's not a good player or a useful player because, man, I've been on the free Malcolm Miller, you know, soapbox all season long and in the preseason I was terrified that like Stanley Johnson was going to get the team make the team over him and Miller was just going to have his Raptors tenure cut short unceremoniously obviously that hasn't happened and with Thomas being out I believe it was announced yesterday for like a month 
I would hope that Miller is going to get some run here, even if he's like the 11th guy once Kyle and Serge come back. Like there still should be some minutes there, especially as they hopefully work in a little bit of rest for guys and they ease guys back into the lineup and try to bring the minutes down for uh, Fred Van Vliet and for Pascal Siakam and for Marcus Gasol. Like there are going to be minutes and the team is versatile enough that I think there could be minutes at the two, three, or even the four for Miller if they really want to get crazy uh, as they sort of work into the next phase of this season once they get healthy again. And, um, you know, it's, he's a useful guy to have. He, he's a good shooter. That's very – I mean, this team is loaded with them apparently, but I, hmm. uh, I, I'm i pretty in on the Malcolm Miller uh, sort of skill set. And, I, yeah, if they can sort of coerce him into being a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more – uh, eager to make active decisions as opposed to just sort of passing it off along on the offense, then I think that'll go a long way to getting him in the lineup. And this speaks to uh, what a dud of last night's game was from the Knicks side of things, that the first takeaway is Malcolm Miller. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm biased, are, as you know. I'm biased, as you know. And one one last point on Miller that I promise we're going to get off him. The word punch <laughs> sound weird to me, too, but that's the word that Malalela used. And in that one game he played down in the 905s, he had five field goals all in the paint, and he actually hmm. missed all his three-point attempts. So it always seems like an adventure whenever Miller puts the ball on the floor, especially in the NBA. But perhaps that's something that could be integrated just a little bit to give him that extra bit of confidence and maybe have him crack the semi-rotation, if you will. Just so people are aware, his true shooting percentage right now is like 91. It's well ahead of Matt Thomas, just saying. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. Alec Wong, for the uh, <laughs> the anti-propaganda. Um, any other sort of notes from this Knicks game? There's not really a ton. I, I guess sort of for me, the thing that I'm enjoying early on is it seems like every game we're getting just like extra fodder for the really cool stories that are kind of emerging from this team, from Terrence Davis to Ronda Hellis Jefferson to Chris Boucher to Pascal Siakam becoming what he's become and all of this um, from the first 17 or so games. And I think we're sort of inching closer to maybe turning the chapter on this part of the season where they were sort of dealing with these injuries in a tough part of the schedule. And they're going to hopefully get guys back soon here as they go into December with a more home heavy schedule, albeit with some tough opponents coming into town. Um, Is there like a favorite among all of the excellent stories to have emerged from the first quarter part of the season here for you, Andrew? Uh, What I'm loving, I mean, listen, the Siakam and Van Vliet stories are, are very apparent. I still am amazed that, you know, we, we know that Siakam is developing that three-point shot. It's still improving. But now any two-point jumper from 21 feet to two feet is automatic. Mm-hmm. Which He has a one-footed step back going now. So that's been glorious to watch. But that's, that's obvious. For me, um, I'm loving OG Ananobi's development. He's been really assertive, mm-hmm. put, putting the ball on the floor especially. He's got this little go-to move where he – gathers his dribble he's running he stop he stops on a dime that he kind of reverse pivots for a layup and teams haven't quite figured out that move yet but he really wasn't that confident putting the ball on the floor at least to my eye and you can tell me if you disagree for his first couple of seasons in the league but now in transition and even in the half court at times his ability to put the ball on the floor has been really encouraging uh for me to see 
Yeah, no, that's huge. I, uh, I, well, I made a note, I think, when I was at the Sixers game on Monday watching him, and he did that exact same uh, move. I think he, you know, fooled James Ennis with it or something, uh, where he sort of does the stop and pivot. And like the thing that I take away from his drives now, it just it seems miserable to try to guard him. He's so strong. Mm-hmm. He's into you, and yeah, that's like a thing he just never had before. He never really had to have much more than just catch and shoot in the corner and play good defense. Um, but as sort of his confidence in his handle and his ability to make decisions and the coaching staff's ability in his decision making or belief in his decision making has also grown it is really nice to see him sort of taking on a little bit of burden and you know pulling up from three and stuff like that it's uh that's a really really good one i think for me my favorite one so far is terrence davis what 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 (laughs) (laughs) i'm out of words for it man he's just like he's so polished the way he just like steps into his threes like a motherfucker like he just he's everything he does is so confident which i guess is like the four-year college player thing i suppose but it feels even more than that because like we've seen four-year college players come in like pascal siakam for example and be pretty clueless and sort of dancing around like bambi out there for the first part of his career with davis it's just like he fits in everywhere his playmaking is well beyond where i thought it was even in the preseason or summer league when you know there were some turnover issues and just sort of a lot of kind of tunnel vision i think offensively and he just seems to really have taken to what the raptors you know are, are asking of him and sort of what his role as like the third or fourth ball handler on this in this guard rotation is is going to require of him and man i'm just i'm so in on terrence davis are you as a 905 guy a little bit upset that terrence davis hasn't gotten any run in the 905 because that i think was very expected coming into the season and just hasn't happened because he's been too good for it do you feel like you've been robbed a little bit i do it's it's a bit disappointing it's funny (laughs) uh, i was talking to the 905 gm chad sanders after matt thomas had a great appearance in the bulls game he made a couple of threes and he had an amazing assist to norman powell the only reason I remember this is because Blake and Ch- Blake Murphy, the athletic reporter, was chatting with Chad about it, and specifically, and Chad's like, "Man, there's no re- there's no way Matt Thomas is coming down after making a- those kinds of plays." <laughs> uh, and so it's it's been disappointing to not see Thomas. It's been disappointing to not see Davis. But you know, to add to what you said about what he's done in his development, he's had a couple of reads, these little like t- tight bounce passes in pick and rolls, mm-hmm. and like very short spaces that have been so incredibly impressive and uh you know van vliet describes him as you know he's a football player which he was the athleticism mm-hmm. and body control not just the strength is incredible and but the one play that sticks out for me and perhaps it sticks out for you you're, you're a man of nuance uh, as well i think it was in the philly game if i'm not mistaken he was kind of hemmed in at the elbow and he just leaned in for this jumper off the glass that mm-hmm. was the, the touch on it and the timing and the way he got a little bit of separation was something that, yeah, the, the maturity. And you mentioned four-year college players. I've been listening to uh, Daryl Morey on Bill Simmons' podcast um, and uh, you know, the, the Rockets GM, and he said a major inefficiency in the draft is finding solid four-year college players. People you know often mm-hmm. write them off, they're too old, but that experience and that maturity is something that, is really valuable to him at least. Yeah, I've always found that weird because I mean, we live in such a like the, the the mode the NBA is in right now is such like a win now to like keep your guys and keep everyone happy and sort of keep it humming type of thing. And 
yet the whole go in on freshmen and sort of overlook those fourth year guys kind of runs counter to that a little bit because those four year guys are instantly able to help you out. Yes, they're not going to become superstars, but I think you have to be realistic when you're looking in the draft and you're in sort of the dregs and you're picking between like a Hamadou Diallo and uh, you know a guy like Terrence Davis, for example. Like, like what, what guy is more likely to offer you? like positive contributions to a good team right away. It's obviously the 22 year old who's got a lot of seasoning as opposed to the 18 year old who can dunk a little bit and is a bit of like a, an athletic sort of project. And like, even if Terrence Davis is 22, his prime is how far away? Like it, it, it's, it's still right. like it's still a long-term thing, right? Like you could say, Oh, he's 22. He's going to be 29 in seven years. Yeah. He's going to be 29 in seven years. That's a long time. <laughs> That's a lot of intervening time for a guy to become pretty good. A la Pascal Siakam or like Malcolm Brogdon or something like that. And I, I mean, it's a bummer because I, I feel like as people get wise to this, the Raptors will be less able to capitalize on this inefficiency, but uh, it's nice that they were sort of the first adopters of it. Um, and I think that's a good place to transition into the Raptors 905 stuff. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The 9 of 5, you know, they are very good at what they do. I, I know, you know, the, the winning is up and down because the guys are in and out and, and all that stuff. But in terms of the process of everything the 9 of 5 do, it's been pretty much the class of the G league. I would argue for the last, however, like four or five years, ever since they came into the league. Um, and this week, Andrew, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Blake Murphy, uh, sent out the sort of transcription of Justin Anderson's comments after he was asked about, uh, you know, what drew him to the Raptors organization. This is a guy, obviously a former first round pick bounced around the league, a bunch, never quite found a, a niche or a, found a place to develop, even though he was on a couple teams that could have used it, uh, in like Dallas and Atlanta. And, you know, his next step in his career is to come to the 905. And he talked about just sort of seeing the track record they have of being able to turn guys into something and turning guys careers around and, you know, taking guys who were unheralded in the draft or undrafted and turning them into rotation players or you know, more, even more so than that in the case of Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. I, I'm not sure if you sort of are how much your fingers on the pulse of other teams around the league, but, you know, would you say the 905 is pretty much the class of the G League at this point, considering their reputation? And do you think, uh, or like, what do you think of sort of what Justin Anderson had to say and what it means for sort of the future of the Raptors as well? Yeah, well, you're right that I don't exactly have my pulse on the rest of the G League, but the question that I ask to every Raptors 905er, I guess you call them, on Media Day is, what have you heard about the organization? Mm -hmm. And to a man, you know, listen, they all know what's going on. They all know what the 
previous projects have turned out. And that's not just Pascal and Van Vliet, who are starters on a championship team or a championship caliber team. There's, there's guys before them, like Lorenzo Brown, who won the MVP of the G League two years ago and was a semi-rotation piece for parts of two seasons for the Raptors. They know that for whatever reason, you know, they're, this place is the, is the place for development and to, you know, to find your NBA future. Talking to uh, Tyler Ennis, uh, you know, former first-round pick, Branson, Ontario native, now the starting point guard for the 905. You know, mm-hmm. he had his choice of where he could go after, you know, he uh, he suffered a, a gruesome injury actually a year ago when he was playing for a Turkish team, and so he, had, he hadn't played in a year. He had his choice of where he could go in the G League, presumably, and he said to me directly, "I did my research, uh, and this was the team that I wanted to go to because of mm-hmm. you know the reputation, and like and, and like Justin Anderson said, and I'm looking in the I'm looking at uh, Blake Murphy's transcription. He said. You know, I've seen, he says, from afar, I've seen that this organization has something really close-knit, tight with the big organization downtown. So it's a really, like, the organizations really work hand-in-hand. They run the same offense. Nurse and Malalela are constantly in communication for what they want to work on with the players that are being sent down. It's just, uh, it's very well integrated. And, mm-hmm. you know, the purpose of my show that I got coming up that we can talk about later is I want to really find out why has this become a thing? Like, technically, why have they been able to transform these NBA fringe players into solid rotation pieces and in one, and in one case, a, an all-star? How mm-hmm. has that actually happened? I'm trying to find out. And I try to ask Jamma every week before, the, before each game about certain players, and he gives me, you know, answers about certain things they have to work on but why is it it's not a coincidence anymore it's just happened to too many players that it's got to be something more than just specific you know skill breakdown and things like that yeah and I mean if you're looking at ways in which you can sort of toe the line between winning and development there's not much of a better sort of way to do it than to find fringy NBA players undrafted guys guys who have bounced around sort of reclamation projects and then stick them in your development system and then boom hey like instead of having to you know use the 28th pick in the draft on a rotation player you can go and trust that you can find something similar uh, in terms of what the output is going to be you know on the scrap heap as it were and then you know you're a little bit more liberated I think to think about trading picks and stuff like that you're less concerned about your ability to find talent and mine it if you know you have this sort of resource and i guess it's all thanks to bruno <laughs> that they have it uh the lasting <laughs> legacy of bruno caboclo um in terms of the next guys who i think the raptors are going to try to turn into something here uh we should probably get a quick note on the two-way guys of course raptors fans have seen o'shea Brissett playing a couple games and shimori pons got in the game last night scored his first nba points that was very cool to see um what to you has been sort of your early takeaway on these two guys in terms of their 905 play? With O'Shea Brissett, definitely you know, an NBA ready body, like listed at 6'7, 210. Mm-hmm. And he's really strong. He can play through contact uh, on either side. He can finish with his left and right. I mean, like so many of these young prospects, like it's, the jump shot is a big issue that really needs to be worked on. I think. I mean, from my eye, his balance sort of needs to be improved. Uh, mm-hmm. And he is a fantastic athlete, and I think that can happen. You know, right now he's shooting six threes a game, but he's only making one of them per game <laughs> in, through through four games. So he is he is he is hoisting them up, and that is like the edict: get him to shoot these shots. Um, and I think it'll come because sometimes his mid range jumper looks pretty smooth. 
so for for him, I think it's really a matter of working on the jumper. Um, and and defensively, he's he really he told Blake Murphy in an article he really enjoys the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that's that's a great place to start for a rookie. And so I think he'll he'll definitely succeed in the team concept with time and uh, and Jamalalil and his staff will definitely help him. Will help him there. I see. I do see some NBA potential in in Brissette. As for Pons, um, he hasn't played great so far. He's he's kind of like a microwave scorer off the bench for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at six one six two, it's like you know trying to fill that Lou Williams role. That's an especially you know difficult sort of place to be. And you can see he wasn't that shy last night, even in his garbage time against the Knicks. <laughs> but um, it's funny, he's a lefty, and, and lefties always look more elegant whenever, if, to my eye anyway, whenever they play. And so <laughs> he's got this soft touch, and whenever the, his three-pointer does go in, you do feel like, you know, he is able to, to make that shot. I do believe he, you know, he was a good scorer at St. John's. I, you know, I don't know, I, I couldn't possibly project in, through, through four games what he could be in the NBA quite yet. Uh, he doesn't seem that quick at that height. Perhaps that improves. Perhaps is you know you don't have to be that quick as Fred VanVleet has shown, right? If you get that sort of awareness and uh, IQ going, so mm-hmm. I can't quite project where he's going to be. But with Brissett, I, I do see some potential. But it's it's funny, you know, watching all these G League games and I'm trying to pretend like I'm a scout that I've ever <laughs> foreseen like anything like Pascal, anything like even Boucher becoming a rotation piece. I wasn't sure that he really had that in him, and now. He hasn't proven it yet, but he's he's in the midst of proving it. It's just it, it it's given me a huge appreciation of how difficult scouts' jobs are and coaches' jobs are trying to get these players ready because it's just so hard to project from day one to 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 where they are a year or two later. Yeah, totally. I can't profess to know anything about Shamori Pons aside from the fact that he was playing for the Rockets G League team, uh, or sorry, for, for their preseason team, their exhibition team uh, in Tokyo. Um, and you know, but like the way the Raptors have done things and the way the 905 has done things, I'm just like assuming he's going to be a rotation player in two years. That's <laughs> just kind sure. of like the the floor of uh, like really good development that they've kind of established for themselves. Even though not all of the development cases work out. I mean, Jordan Lloyd never really sort of stuck, and the, you know, Lorenzo Brown only had you know so much to, to offer at the right. NBA level, but. Um, right. It is hearing you say that O'Shea Brissett talks about how much he loves defense. That sounds like a Nick Nurse wet dream. So, uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm uh, that that's definitely encouraging for and sure. Brissett um, yeah. is such a good, down to earth Canadian boy who's just willing to work <laughs> so hard. I had like a ten minute one on one with him a couple of days ago. He's just he's just a, a good, solid dude who I assume is very, very coachable, which is mm-hmm. definitely encouraging. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was never really – I always sort of am skeptical of, like, Syracuse dudes, and then seeing him for Team Canada before he got hurt in the summer, it was like, oh, okay, this guy seems real. And the fact that, like, he got to forge that bond with Nurse a little bit early on too uh, couldn't have hurt things. So excited to see what comes from his O'Shea Brissett. Uh Any last sort of parting shots on the 905 before we quickly move on to some Canada basketball stuff? Is there anyone else of note – on the team who you think maybe Raptors fans should consider tuning into a G league game for just to, just to check out. The first guy is Tyler Ennis. He mm-hmm. is, he's not, he's not a two way player, but he's an affiliate player and he is, he is their leader. He is the, the way he plays fully recovered from that leg injury. 
his ability to play the game at his speed and control everyone like they're on a string is absolutely remarkable. Um, and the fact that he's you know, five, six games back now from his injury, he's only getting faster and stronger. He's scoring the ball well. He's, he's, this, he's, he's an NBA player, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And for one other watch, David Robinson out of Florida, he's got some NBA experience with the Wizards, an absolute freak athlete. If you want to see four monster highlight dunks, then just tune into a G League <laughs> game, a Raptors 5 game, and watch him. He is an unreal athlete. His NBA potential, no clue, couldn't tell, doesn't shoot the ball very well, although he's developing a three-point shot. But he is a treat to watch just from a pure aesthetic standpoint. Hey, guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Well, I'm glad you brought up Tyler Ennis because that leads us into very easily a conversation of Canada basketball. I can't imagine Ennis is going to sniff the national team this summer considering all of the excellent guards who have recently committed to playing. It'd be nice to see Ennis there, but uh, you know the depth at guard is kind of the strength of Team Canada. And look, I'm going to preface all of this by saying we did a podcast, I think, in early August when the list of players invited to camp came down and we were really really excited about what team canada was going to look like at the world cup and it didn't work out that way and obviously there will be injuries there will be guys who go deep in the playoffs who don't end up playing for agency concerns stuff like that and i don't know if everyone who committed to team canada this week which includes shea gildas alexander Nikhil alexander walker rj barrett jamal murray uh in addition to like dylan brooks and the regular crew who's always there um i i don't expect all of them to be there at the last chance tournament in june but it's very encouraging to see them all come out this many months in advance and say, yeah, we're in. And I guess a little bit of sort of update on the news with all of this yesterday, the uh, pool for the last chance tournament tournament was drawn. Uh, It's going down June 23rd to 28th in Victoria, obviously Canada basketball clearly ponied up the money to to have it hosted in Canada, which is very good. Uh, But they're in a pretty tough group. They have in group A of their 16 tournament, which they have to win. They have Greece and China next to them. And then the Czech Republic led by Thomas Sadoransky, who was really good at the uh, the World Cup this past year. Uruguay and Turkey are in the other group. And only one of these teams is going to the Olympics. Greece obviously has a certain future Raptor on their team uh, who is very good and uh, and is certainly a problem. Rick Pitino was coaching that Greece team. You take that for however you want to take it. Um, But Andrew, what was your sort of reaction to, first of all, the commitments this week from the Canadian guys, uh, especially in the backcourt, and then uh, sort of your early impressions on what this tournament's going to look like and you know your, your fears of Greece and all of that stuff? My first impression was, I guess, the peer pressure worked. <laughs> the, the, 
the addition of social media, uh, you know, into this process of come on, guys, let's 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 have our best players play, seems to have done something. It kind it kind of reminds me of social media pressuring James Harden into playing defense, kind of <laughs> posting you know ten minute long videos of him playing the OLED and then him becoming you know in spurts a possible defender. I think it's the same thing, and uh, you know maybe they maybe guys like Jamal Murray and Gil and Gilgis Alexander they realize that there's something more to the game. Uh, there's something more to representing your country. And so it's, it was really, it just brought a smile to my face. It's awesome to get all these commitments. And uh, it's going to be a, it's, it's just a bunch of young guys too. It'll be really interesting to see a young team and they're going to have a, it's going to be difficult for them to come together quickly, adjust to the FIBA rules. And uh, it, it's just, it, it makes the tournament, especially because it's in Victoria, it makes it, so exciting to watch the build-up is going to be great too and i'm sure some people will end up pulling out but there'll be an nba roster ready to try mm -hmm. to qualify for the olympics and that's and that's that's awesome especially for the country that has the second most uh, you know international the most international players in the nba so you you'd hope that most of them would come out so it's just it's just a feeling of excitement and anticipation Andrew, you have to pick one of these two situations that you would prefer. One is that the Milwaukee Bucks lose in, say, the conference finals, whether it's to the Raptors, to the Sixers, whatever it is, uh, giving Giannis a few weeks to prepare and get ready to play for Greece in the last chance tournament. Or the Milwaukee Bucks win the finals, and maybe there's just a couple days in between. Maybe this rules Giannis out of playing for the national team uh, at this last chance tournament, thus increasing Canada's chances of winning the thing and getting to Tokyo. Which of those, also in terms of winning the finals, also making it much more likely that he signs a Supermax and ruins any hope of the Raptors getting him? I should probably have put that part in. Uh, which of those two scenarios would you prefer? Well, and the other part is the Raptors don't make the finals themselves. Yes. Um, Right. So, no, I think, I think, listen, I, I, I am definitely a national team supporter, proud Canadian, but I, I live and die by, by the Raptors, uh, my, my, you know, as, since I was a kid. So, I mean, that's a difficult decision. And who knows if Giannis would even sit out the tournament, no matter how many games he played, because he seemed really upset about how the World Cup went. Mm -hmm. He seemed really sort of down about how it went. And I'm sure he's going to try. Just kind of ruining your hypothetical. I don't want to do that. So let's just <laughs> keep your hypothetical as it was. I'm going to make a choice, which is I'd prefer uh, to see Giannis at the World Cup and the Raptors have, you know, a chance at making the finals as sort of anti-Canadian as that might sound. That's, that's, my, that's my option. I'm with you because, A, yeah, if Giannis loses in the conference finals in embarrassing fashion uh, and Chris Middleton lets him down again, then that does increase the chances that he won't sign to Supermax. And even if it isn't to the Raptors that he goes, that just creates a little extra juice this offseason. And also, even if Giannis does play in the tournament in June, I still think there's a chance Canada can win the thing. I mean, Canada's roster... 2 through 15 will be better than Greece's 2 through 15, which is good. And I also think Greece has kind of shown a, a propensity for not maybe using Giannis all that well. Um, I know Blake Murphy has made the point on a couple podcasts that, you know, the way that the international rules are set up, it makes it a little bit more easy to sort of wall off a guy like Giannis and keep him from having the ball all of the time, which is kind of the best way to use him, obviously. And so I still think there's a world in which a fully stocked Team Canada 
can find a way to to mess with Giannis and Greece enough to win that tournament. And, you know, you could even see like a bit of a thing where maybe Turkey or Czech Republic can knock them off. Like the, international basketball is weird. And it's not always the team with the best player that wins, as we saw um, in the World Cup when Spain won with Marcus Gasol being 34 years old and still drunk on rosé and just carving dudes up while Nikola Jokic and Giannis and all the American uh, players uh, kind of fell short of what expectations were. So, yeah, I think you can have your cake and eat it too if you're a Raptors fan. You can, and a Team Canada basketball fan. You can see Giannis lose early, get disenchanted with the Bucks, and also see him lose to Team Canada to Nick Nurse once again uh, because Nurse is right. the Giannis whisperer. And like, I don't know, I'm just expecting like Brandon Clark to be the new Kawhi or the new Marcus Saul <laughs> or the new Serge Ibaka in terms of shutting down Giannis. I feel like Nick Nurse could make that work. So, um, yeah, that's, that, that's the main uh, thing. Yeah. There's no there's no defensive three seconds in FIBA, so that's yeah. a huge, a huge you know Giannis stopper. And then there's there's Nick Nurse as well as I was a, as I was going to add, but you uh, correctly noted. So there's a, there's a way to game plan for one exceptional player and a supporting cast. And Nick Nurse is creative enough and experienced enough at this point to at least you know give that a good shot. Yeah, 100%. Um, Andrew, I think that's probably a pretty good place to leave this one here. But before we go, please plug your show, your Raptors 905 show. What's it called? Where can people listen to it? And uh, what can people expect from it? Yeah, the show is called Hoops in the 905. It's on AM 960 Mississauga. And I'm super excited. The big goal of the show is to try to figure out how the Raptors and the 905 continue to make fringe NBA players into rotation pieces and stars. And also, you know, as a guy who's covered the team for now in my third season, these guys have super compelling stories from the players to the assistant coaches who, you know, aren't getting paid that much as well to the coaches, to the, to the head staff. They've all, they're all underdogs looking to make the NBA and I'm looking to tell their stories. And so many of them are, so compelling and our, our first episode is tomorrow at noon we got tyler ennis talking to us and then we have someone who we've cited a few times we have blake murphy as well coming on the show and uh we're i'm really excited to get going on it i uh i look forward to checking it out man are people gonna be able to find it in podcast form after it airs that's the hope i do need to speak with the station it's all been pulled together there's so much you may you may understand there's so much that goes into putting <laughs> together a show that that pops up that you don't that you don't realize initially so that is a question i've been asked that i'm going to look into and i will uh get that information out and i do hope uh I, it should be available in podcast form that information will be uh, made available soon well, I'm really looking forward to it, man. There are very few people who are as qualified or as talented to talk about the 905 as you are. So uh, it's going to be awesome. 9.60 a.m. in Mississauga. I, be- I would assume those airwaves reach to Toronto and Hamilton and the rest of the GTA. So please make sure you are checking the show out. Noon on Fridays. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I can't wait to check it out. You can follow him at transition underscore D on Twitter. You can find his work at Raptors Republic. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Sean.
That is uh, Andrew Damlin, and that is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing, rating, and reviewing and all that good stuff. I'll be back again on Friday with an episode. Not sure what we're going to talk about just yet. Uh, And then I believe we'll probably have a Sunday episode this week as the Utah Jazz are in town. Maybe I'll have a chat with our pal David Locke, who does play-by-play for the Jazz and also is the boss man here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. Uh, I think Katie Heindel is going to be covering that game as well, her first ever game. So there will be a podcast in some fashion after the Jazz game on Sunday. Uh, So lots coming up here. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Thank you.